You guys, I have a list of questions up here that I'm going to ask of the speakers, but if you have follow-up questions, once I ask these, please grab a mic, raise your hand, and we'll go through those as well. Um, I'm going to start with Kevin, because I love you. How do you balance your ministry inside the home and that outside the home? There's, there's no answer to that. Um, that what I would say from a purpose perspective, you have to build conviction on what faithfulness looks like to every single role that God has given you. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're an employee. I can't hear you. Winston, can you hear? I don't think Winston has audio. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Um, part of that ministry is ministering to ministering to Christians outside the home, and ministering to non-Christians outside the home. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to have to do. So by faith, you just have to take all of them and try to make them work throughout the day. There's gonna, I feel like God moves in seasons where maybe like right now I'm in a season where my ministry to my wife is really important. I have to spend a lot more time there. And that means that the, the, something drops, something doesn't get as much attention as it gets before. So whatever season you're in right now, I would say pick, pick three, pick three roles that you feel God is pressing you most on right now and just try to do a good job with those. If you have more room capacity after that, pick a fourth. I don't know. Maybe you guys are have a higher motor than I do, but um, just wake up and say, Lord, I'm going to try to do a good job everywhere, but my priority today is I'm going to try to focus really hard on these top three. Whether that's ministering, sharing the... Uh, sharing the gospel, whether it's spending time with your we wife, getting more time with your kids. I would just say um, be intentional about being faithful. This is my ministry with Winston, by the way. So, Any of you other guys want to make any uh, comments on that? Only, I'd just like to add one thing, that I think the concept of balance, to the best I can tell, and you guys can check me on this, but that's not a biblical concept. There is no, the pursuit of balance is a product of man desiring to control. And to jump off of Kevin's point about, you know, the, what is a concept is the seasonality of life. And the moment that you think you've got it balanced will be the moment that you will not rely on God. So I, I encourage you less to think about balance and more to think about, Lord, where do you want me doing it now and how do you want me doing it? Uh, real quick, I was just thinking when Kevin was talking, I, I can't say that I do it well, but I tried to com combine it. I tried to have my outside ministry be in my home so my kids see it, my wife sees it, when my kids are with their friends, I use my kids to, to meet people. So to me, it's combining it. 
Any follow-ups on that? Jerry, I'm going to have some um, rapid fire, two or three for you. People who die without Christ um, now, where are they exactly? Bible's not all that clear on that. Um, there's an Old Testament concept of Sheol, which is uh, a place where the dead go, and it is sort of a shadowy world. You see Jesus sort of expand on that in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, wherein Lazarus is Talking in... Mark, but I... Beg your pardon? No, I can't. Hey, Winston. <laughs> yeah. We can hear you. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. On that side. I, can't, I, can't, I can't hear you guys. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. When, well, he could, because I was talking to him. Winston, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Did you say something to me? Can you hear me now, Winston? You're going to have to get it up to your mouth. <laughs> can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay. The rich man and Lazarus. Christ talks about this divide wherein Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is in a place of torment. And that there is a gulf that divides them. Whether that is true now after Christ's resurrection uh, for the, those who are not in Christ, I don't know. 2 Corinthians 5 tells you what happens to those who die in Christ. Their soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven and they are somehow clothed with something in heaven temporarily until their body is resurrected and rejoins their soul. And then, Jerry, for those people that are condemned, do they get a resurrected body to endure the flames? Yes. All right. Winston, how do I figure out my gifting and my unique calling? Well, your calling, your, your general calling is to be an ambassador. And an ambassador is, to use our terminology, is to be, to live a life uh, of E squared. Now, the specific calling in terms of maybe uh, your little piece of the action, I think one of the ways both that and, and gifting is try things. 
secondly, I think uh, asking others, they may, they may give you some good input, but, uh, uh, and you'll find that if you're trying some things that maybe you're not gifted at, uh, they just, they, they won't flow for you. But you start doing the things that uh, you're kind of get you have gifting for, and and they'll they'll just come, and you'll you'll kind of uh, be motivated that way. Just piggyback on what Winston said that there, there's a couple I can't ways. Hear you, Jerry, Jerry, raise it up right. I right can't get it mouth. much closer. Yeah, you did. You still can't hear me. Yes, I can hear you now, Jerry. Clearly. Okay. And I don't want to miss a word you say. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> Your value system, you, we, we can fool ourselves about what that is. But two pretty reliable barometers are what you think about and what you ask God for, what your prayer life looks like. And if, if purpose, is that, if that's something you really want to know, the only guy who can show you that is God. And when he listens to your prayers, he knows if that's really what you want. Convince him that that's what you want. He knows how to talk to you. Any other questions on that subject? Go for it. Hey guys, yeah, yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep going. Thanks. Um, to anybody up there, so we have the Catholic Bible, Greek Orthodox Bible, Protestant Bible. How do we know that the given books of our Bible are the only inspired books by God? So, the New Testament's written in Greek, and we have reliable copies of those Greek words today. It's important when you're studying the Bible that you have a reliable one, one that is accurate, but even if you don't have one, you can still look up the words in Greek. There are tools that have translated the Greek word into 
English. Like you heard Winston say the word assurance versus certain. All he did was look up the Greek word and figure out what the definition was. It's not hard. So when you read your Bible, you can look up to see what the original Greek words by clicking a button on a computer. So whatever version you're using, if your desire is to know exactly what is being said or exactly what was said, there's tools out there to help. You just have to use them. Was the question version or was the question cross? How do you know that our 66 oh, are the inspired <laughs> well, that's, that's beyond me. books of the Bible or God's word? The, the real simple answer is faith. Yeah, I agree with that. There, there's a multipli- there were a multiplicity of church councils in the first three, four, five centuries that decided on what the canon was going to be because they had lots and lots of manuscripts and they had to decide which were going to be official versus those that are not. The ones that are in the Protestant Bible everybody agreed on. The Orthodox and Roman churches added a few others. There's nothing wrong with reading those. There's lots of stuff in there. Maybe they really are inspired. I'm not sure. But there's nothing wrong with reading those. They're easy to, to look at. They're easy to read. But the, the, the 66 that everyone agreed upon is um, where I put my money. Justin, I always feel like I'm falling back into small bad habits. How do I stay on track and not go back? Where do I start? It's kind of just life, really. Um, That's never going to end. Paul in Romans 7 is talking about his flesh. You're You're not getting rid of your flesh. So... Where I land is, if I'm thinking clearly, down on my knees, begging God to help me. And that's the only safe place to be. I, I think that's by design. So that's not going away. Um, I know that's not really a great. <laughs> I feel like that's not really, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it, it really is just as simple as you pray, you're in, your, you're in the word, and you're dependent. I do think that's by design. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think Justin is, is spot on. And I would just add to that, if, if there is an upside to that, it, it, the upside is failure. And failure is so intensely personal. And the Apostle Paul says of himself, I'm the chief sinner. Men, I suggest to you that every one of us, God, God puts enough failure, enough sin into each of our lives that we can look in the mirror and with Paul say, no, Paul, I'm the chief sinner. And the, the reason I think that's important is because there, there is a danger that guys like us run. And that danger is pride. And pride, God hates. 
And failure puts a man back in his place so that he knows what he really is. Understanding that you're the chief sinner, that's a good place to be. Jerry, had the serpent already fallen from heaven when he spoke with Eve? Can you explain your answer? Yes, I think it's recorded in an, um, Isaiah 14, but probably more explicitly in Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19. And it speaks of him being in the Garden of Eden, but the description of that garden is very different from the Garden of Eden of Genesis 3. So I think Ezekiel 28, 11, 19 is the best um, portrayal of what Satan's fall looked like. This is for anybody. Since we're in a spiritual battle of good and evil, and since God is the creator of all, and he already knows the ultimate outcome, then what's the point? Why are we in this battle? Yeah, I was going to say, can you read that one more time? Yeah. Um, since we're in a spiritual battle of good versus evil, and since God is the creator of it all, and he already knows the ultimate outcome, then what's the point? I ask, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, I, I ask myself the same question. I mean, why, why the heck are we here? Why are we on this rock? Why, why not just get beamed up to heaven when you become a believer? What, what, why are we still here? What's going on? So to me, as far as I can tell, uh, I mean, God knows what's good for us, and he's given us opportunity. So the, to me, the point there is you have opportunity, and the response, if we're, thinking clearly is faithfulness. God is a teacher and history is linear. It's moving in a direction and it's purposeful. And we are in time moving along that timeline and we are learning. You are in life to learn. If, if your spiritual head is screwed on, you're in life to learn. Learning how to be Christ-like and so on. But that is a process. And when I ask the question, why not just beam me to heaven, I'm product-oriented. That's how we naturally are. We want the product. But for God, the process is exceedingly important. And we are now in the process. The product comes later. Any follow-ups? Craig, what is the hardest thing or the biggest temptation for you um, or difficulty in applying biblical principles at work? I mean, the, 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 the biggest one is always the anti-Philippians 419. 
where it says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And my regular temptation is I've got to get my needs met. And then I look to my work for the need of significance and feeling like I'm making a contribution for a value. Um, and that will stretch over into areas outside of my work. I look to my wife. I look to my kids. I look to people. And it, it, it is the constant tension of fully living inside of the truth and inside of the promise. I mean, Winston talked about the promises. You want a promise to grab a hold of? Philippians 4.19. Direct and as clear as day, but it can be a challenge to uh, live inside of day in and day out. Anybody else want to make any comments on that? I think, <clears throat> am I thinking lost when I'm at work? I had a, I was had a cup of coffee with a good friend of mine, and he said, Kevin, have you made the goal to share the gospel with every one of your customers? And that was a new thought for me. I don't, I'm ashamed to say that. That was a new thought for me. But his point was, Am I thinking lost about those who are lost that I'm engaging with on a, on a moment-by-moment person? Someone said it earlier. Every person we run into is a divine appointment. Therefore, every person I run into either needs to learn about Jesus or needs to grow in their relationship with Jesus. So just staying focused is probably my biggest challenge. Winston, what counsel would you give to a young man who feels like he's not leading his family well and his wife is not following well? (laughs) Jerry said he couldn't hear you, Winston. I would say, I would say that if I were a young man and uh, uh, I didn't feel like I was doing a good job and um, my wife was having a hard time following, I would find, I would find some older, mature Christian guys, a guy, and that's uh, obviously you can see that his marriage. Uh, reflects oneness. Uh, his kids, you can see that his, kid, his kids are uh, showing the effects of uh, some good leadership in that home. And I'd start to pick his brain, and obviously this, the scriptures, but, uh, uh, and then, but I think Jerry pointed this out earlier, and that is understanding our purpose. If we don't understand why we're here, then the rest of it is not going to line up. And uh, so when I when I know why I'm here, I'm I'm here to I'm a bond servant of Christ. And uh, when I when I in the home, then I I'm the vector. I I am the leader. I'm I'm the final authority. And uh, so. 
I've got to decide what the priorities are in the home. The purpose is we're going to serve Christ. And then what are the priorities? And then I insist on those priorities. And uh, anyone, whether it's my wife or my kids, that violate those priorities, there are consequences. And, uh, but outside of those priorities, then I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty open to whatever people want within the commandments of God. But, uh, uh, and so important, men, that, that we establish authority. It's the greatest, it's the number one thing to teach our kids to respond to authority. Because how you teach them to respond to authority is appreciably going to affect how they try to respond to God. And we live in a, we live in a society, an anti-authoritarian society. But back to the husband, I think we look at ourselves and say, am I, am I really under Christ's authority? Am I modeling what living as a slave of Christ looks like? Because if I'm not, and then have I put some authority around me, some accountability around me, and am I, is it genuine? Because I start by modeling it to my wife and my kids. And then establishing, here's our purpose as a family. Here's our priorities. And then everyone buys in. And uh, if they don't, then, then we've, got, we've got some really consequences. And uh, if, it's, if it's worth having a war, then don't ever lose the war. If it's not worth a war, then just let it go. But our purpose and our priorities, you have a war. Now, I don't care whether it's your wife or your kids, and you don't lose the war. I'll stop there. Jerry, you want to add anything else? Is there anything else that you would expand on? And this maybe is under Kevin's too, but uh, what a single guy would be looking for in a potential wife. I would encourage a single guy to look at First, first Peter 3. And uh, the first, I don't six verses I think there are addressed to a wife. And it's very obvious in those verses that you want a wife that's going to honor authority. And if she's not going to, if, if she doesn't see, uh, see that authority, that your authority, if she isn't going to recognize that, then get away from her as quick as you can. But also, obviously, she has to be a Christian. That, that's, that's just a given. 
but also it says that she's she has a quiet and gentle spirit. So I would say, how what's her what's her uh, commitment to Christ in terms of authority? Is he her final authority? If he marries me, am I going to be her final authority? And is she going to live by my purpose and my priorities? And if she's, if she's not willing to, and the other thing I would do is you look at mama, you look at her mother, because she's trained by her mother. And that may not be a deal killer, but you better take it, you better weigh it strongly. And if she's got a rebellious mother, uh, whoo, be careful. <laughs> Quiet and gentle spirit. I think as a, as a salesperson, I'm really, I used to be really good at the bait and switch. I will, uh, tell you enough to get you on board and then once you're on board tell you the reality um, you single men have a chance to share your purpose and your vision if you find a girl like Winston's talking about that has a quiet and gentle spirit who wants to follow Christ you have an opportunity to share your purpose and your vision her job is to follow and to help you and if you say hey this is where I feel God's calling me she gets a chance to choose whether she wants to be a part of that. As opposed to now she's your wife, she's committed for life, and now you're off doing your purpose, and it's brand new information for her. So you single men have a chance to figure your purpose and your priorities out now and pray that God brings you the perfect woman to help you as opposed to you grabbing a girl and pulling a Kevin bait and switch. I wouldn't. I would not recommend that. Bryce, I would just I would just add that I think one of the other uh, things that a guy might take advantage of is is you know you're looking for a godly woman, but also some of your close buddies, godly guys, have her get around them and their wives. And uh, sometimes they might see things that you don't see. Jerry, can you explain more about why God is complex to love? God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. You're trying to get to know a being who is like that. He's like us in some ways, but he is very different from us in other ways. How do you get to know and love such a person that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't hear audibly? He's very complex. Again, just think about the difference between loving a dog and loving another human being. It's a lot harder to love people because they're complex. Dogs are simple. 
But God is infinitely more complex than any, any of us. This is for anyone and all of you. In discipling a man, how would you counsel them in regard to government mandates like vaccines, masks, etc.? Not a hot button issue at all. Unfortunately, this is good timing for me. Uh, in our Roman study, we just did Romans 13, so it's a hot topic. The command's the command. So, I, I, admittingly, there's a lot of mandates and what's actually law and what's actually the government uh, forcing. Um, again, the, the command in Romans 13 is you are to obey your governing authority. So, I, I guess my, my answer to guys, again, and a lot of guys have been talking about this back home, and you get down on your knees and beg God to show you what to do. But the command is the command. Any other comments? Would I or have I? I have not. Now, let me, let me further the complication. What if you're down on your knees and you're convicted in so opposition I'll, to... I'll give you, I'll give you this. Uh, I mean, this is, this is real for me. So my wife is very against it. She said she won't get it. I said, if we are forced to get it, we will get it. Let's say your conviction is that it's grown on fetal cells and you don't think you can do it in good conscience, where do you go there? Yeah, that's what my, that's, so that's where my wife is. So this is very real for me. So hopefully it's not ever required. <laughs> but it's something we're thinking about and we're talking about. And again, my, my answer is you get down on your knees, you, you beg God to show you the answer. follow up on Bryce's question, which was a good one. If it's a personal conviction for the husband and he felt like he has gone to God with this, yet the wife in your situation and maybe similar to others feels personally convicted with God in another, but they're diametrically opposed, am I allowed to tell my wife, no, you need to submit to my authority? Get down on your knees and beg God to tell you the answer to that question. No, 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 no. All right. Come on. Give him an answer. I, the, the, that is my answer. Well, it, so, yes, you're, you're the spiritual leader. So you tell her why you believe what you believe. And is it, like Winston said, is this something to go to war over or not? Justin, I think a great way to ask it, which I think is can a husband ask his wife to violate her convictions if it's not against God's word? Yeah, again, and, and it's, a tr it's a tricky question because 
back to Romans 13, if, if the government tells me to sin, I'm not going to sin. So, to, to the point of, of where we're getting at, and again, my wife has a problem with the fetal cell issue with the vaccine. That's, that's her, her problem with it, and I, I get it. I don't, see, I don't see it as a violation. I don't see it as breaking the laws of the, of the scriptures. So, again, that's my job as a husband to lead her as to what the Bible says. The Bible says do not, do not disobey your governing authority. So if we disobey our governing authority, we are in sin, unless they're making us, unless they're making us sin. So, again, my, my answer is, is what I've been saying. Justin, so getting the shot is not a sin, correct? Again. That's my conviction. Let me, can I ask a question on this? Hold, hold on one sec. Um, Jerry, Winston, do you guys have anything to add? Yes, a husband can ask his wife to violate her conscience if it is not a violation of a commandment in the scripture. Uh, Jerry, say that again. I didn't hear you clearly. Yes, a husband can ask his wife to violate her conscience if it is not a violation of the scripture. Do you disagree? I think that was a question to you, Winston. I don't have my hearing aids on. <laughs> well, let me let me ask Jerry if if I go to uh, Romans fourteen. And that's non-essential. What's a non-essential? I'm sorry? I mean, in that context. Yes. But is Romans 13 a non-essential? No. It's an essential. So if she wants to violate that, do I not trump her? Yes. And that's what you were saying? Correct. Okay. No, I'm... I agree. I don't know if you guys just realized this, but we're seeing a discussion in the Godhead right here. <laughs> oh. Okay, any other, no, no. sorry. Hey. Hey. <laughs> any other uh, questions on that subject? Hey, Bryce. Yes. Don't, don't, don't talk that way. All right, you got it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. That's... Uh, just don't talk that way, please. Okay. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I have a question. And it might be a little off topic with the vaccination, but I think it is on topic with what's going on currently with the mass, the vaccination, the social distancing. Can you talk, can, can you talk a little louder, please? Yeah. Does that help? Yes. Okay. Might be a little off topic to the vaccination, but I think it is on topic with the whole agenda that what's behind this thing. We know if we do our research 
that Fossey is the one who introduced this process to us. And one of them is the mask and the six foot social distancing, which we know by multiple doctors that are out there standing forth, this doesn't work. Christian doctors saying this doesn't work. But when we look into who Fossey is, we know he's a Columbia University graduate. He's a high-ranking Jesuit. And we know in Luciferian worship, they stand six-foot distance from each other, and they wear a mask. So we know the foundation of what's trying to be pushed upon us. Do we submit if we're no longer naive to knowing that this is a form of Luciferian worship pushing us in an agenda which is eventually the one world system. The Roman Empire was not led by godly men. And the Christians who lived under that regime obeyed the government until and if they asked them to violate the commandments of God. Let me just say also men, that we can get so wrapped up in, in what the world is spinning on, and we can, we can look at this world uh, through a, either a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, or a worldview. Now, let's just take, for example, this whole thing of the pandemic. And we can get our shorts twisted with what was the source of it? Was it China? Was it an accident? Was it a bat? Was it a conspiracy? Was it whatever the mind wants to go? And men, that's, that's looking at the world through a world mindset, a worldview. But if I look at my Bible, if I look at my Bible, it tells me that this pandemic is from God. And it's for his purposes. Therefore, I don't get, I don't get wound up in all this stuff. See, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, men, that uh, a good part of the body of Christ today does not have a biblical worldview. We've got a worldly worldview. And if we do, then we're going to act just like the pagans. And we're going to think just like the pagans. Okay, sorry, sorry to reflect on this even more because I don't want to extend my time and grace. Okay, so if we take the vaccination, which we know the financial instrument that has done it is trying to introduce what's called a quantum crystallization vaccination. It is actually a mark inside the body for infrared to allow to scan us. Is that so close to getting to the mark that we should reject something that goes into our body and actually creates a mark? 
Okay, but let me just tell you, you're ignoring Romans 13.1, obey the government. That's what God says. So obey them and leave it alone. I, I think that's a great point to stop. Hold on, okay, just, let me, let me, uh, finish up. Yeah, let me, let me refer to, write this down. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Okay, I'm going to read it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Causing, listen to this now causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. This pandemic and all that's going on, whether you got your shorts twisted because of the last president or you got your shorts twisted because of this president, that president is there because God is putting there Romans 13.1. Therefore, I obey it. Why? Because God put him there. And God has his plan. And as Christians, we're part of the plan. And we're just going to be just fine in all of this calamity. So relax and obey the government. Yep. Jerry, uh, maybe... I want to ask you one more question you could clarify. When Antichrist wants us to take the mark, there's going to be no question, correct? It's going to be, for the Christian, it's going to be no question that that mark is the mark of the beast and we're not going to be questioning. Is that correct? That is what I believe, yes. Christians are divided on this one, and that is a great example that that is why this is, I mean, this is not the mark of the beast. Antichrist is not in control. And this is a Christian doesn't have to worry about his eternal soul if he takes the vaccine, correct? Well, it, particularly if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I have no idea if that's true or not, but if you do, you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. And whether you believe that or not, you will know the mark of the beast. Jerry, would you say that at that point of mark of the beast, it'll be obvious that it's violating the commandments of God in some way? Absolutely. At that point, it'll be a slam dunk. Yep. Are you, are you pre-trib? I have no idea when the tribula... Uh, pre, I have no idea when the rapture occurs. But are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post? I just said I do not know. And anyone that tells you they're certain about that is not seeing things clearly. Men, thank you very much for your talks and this uh, question and answer period. Thank you, guys.